You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And uh, and we're sitting there backstage and we're just talking to some people, you know, and all of a sudden here comes Prince walking right towards us and like, and uh, what the fuck is Prince doing here? And he comes and me and Rick are just jaws dropped and he looked down at us and just gave us a nod. So that was my my closest touch to greatness and then we lied and told all our friends we jammed with them backstage <laughs> we jammed with man it was rad huh just kidding <laughs> but, uh, yeah you know he smelled really good <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i'm siobhan cronin here with my cohorts and co-hosts Corey peza and benny goodman and we are back for another episode of 2020 don't forget to like and subscribe 2020-d.com check out the youtube cast too as always because we have a lot of great visual content going on in these episodes and this week Part one with the incredible Gary Holt of Exodus, Slayer, Metal God. Slayer! Really cool, really was, cool was guy, for that. too. Yeah, so down to earth. And it was really fun as someone that does not come from the metal background to get to interview him as a human. Yeah. It's and we and we get a lot of cool perspective on kind of his influences. We talk about you know, Prince, uh, his opinion on like Ted Nugent, Eric Clapton, which might surprise you a little bit, uh, but really cool information, kind of how he developed his sound and, and his opinion on music in general. He's like the angriest yet most zen grandfather in the history of metal. Such a dichotomy between yeah his his demeanor on the podcast and what you envision of him on stage. So without further ado, check out part one right now, and subscribe if you haven't for f sake, f sake. Hi, my name's Betty Goodman, and I'm here with my cohorts in crime, Siobhan Cronin and Corey Peza. Cheers. Hey, Ben, how's it going? <laughs> oh, cheers, cheers. Good, it's good it's early for us, early for us today. Nor- normally I have my wine, but today it's water. I'm so oh. excited because I've bugged this dude on Instagram for probably six months straight, and he's one of my favorites. He plays in the legendary Exodus. He, he's moonlit in a band called Slayer that every concert someone's yelled it behind my head. And he loves cats, and I feel like he wants to kill the Kardashians. Gary Holt! <laughs> What's up? <laughs> oh, Gary, thank love, you so much I for joining cats. us. I don't own one. It's the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> so what's the story behind that? If you love cats, what's the reason for not owning one? Do you have an allergy? No, no, no. I've always had cats, but I travel too much, well, before the pandemic. and Sure. You know, and my wife works, you know, and like the last cat we had, I rehomed to a friend of mine because he was getting neurotic because he was home alone all the time. And and um, just came to the realization, it's like all the kids are out of the house. We might as well have all the animals out of the house, too. <laughs> then I'm free to go. Free to come. Go full, full empty nester. Fair yeah, enough. we just need more of those cat cafes like they have in Japan, though. Oh yeah, I didn't I actually get to go to cat cafe. In the cat cafe, I would just 
you know, a day like today is beautiful. I'm going to go play with cats. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing what they have in Japan. They have the Hedgehog Cafes, too. And I went to the Owl Cafe, which was my favorite, of course. But I love owls. Oh, well, so nice. Maybe, owls maybe are awesome. Look- I have owls around here where I live, which is cool. Really? I always hear them, but I never get to see them. I'm always trying to figure out where they are because I, I secretly want one for a pet, but that's very illegal <laughs> right yeah, now, yeah. I think, I mean, unfortunately. There's, there's all kinds of things I'd like for a pet. I mean, I, I have a perfect spot. You know, I live in the country a little bit. I want some goats, you know, but my wife says <laughs> no to goats because she'll be the one taking care of said goats. And you know, I've always wanted three pygmy goats to name them Cronus, Mantis, and Abaddon after Venom, you know, like. And uh, it's, it's just not to be sad. One sad. of these days, you need a goat yeah. nanny or, or someone need, that will I take care of the nanny. goats. <laughs> goat nanny, for sure. Well, don't, hold on, Siobhan, don't you have a hedgehog and doesn't someone take care of your hedgehog while you tour? Well, yeah, that used to be the case, but the hedgehog has since moved to Ohio where now my husband takes care of the hedgehog or one of his friends while we're gone. But that, I mean, he's so easy to take care of. I mean, cats definitely require more energy. The hedgehog is like, fill up his bowl, make sure he didn't shit everywhere, clean up his cage. That's it. That's kind no, of cats it's all, too. Man. It's all pretty contained. That's the one animal my wife would have no complaints if I showed up at home with is a hedgehog. Well, there you go. <laughs> really? I highly encourage them. They are very cute. Not the California, most social. Not legal here. Really? I don't. Hmm. I don't believe so. No, we okay. Well, I'm in it. Florida where everything is apparently legal. Everything's, <laughs> illegal. Everything's either legal or it's living outside your house anyway. You know. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to say, I went to Shannon Lurkin's house and he had like 15,000 types of like reptiles in Florida. I'm like, is this legal at all? Like he's pulling out all this crazy shit. I'm like, it, it, it's like an ecosystem down there. And then meanwhile, you can't have a hedgehog. It's a, it's a, weird, it's a, it's yeah. a weird world we live in, man. What's yeah, wrong with a hedgehog? Reptiles, you know, I used to keep lizards and snakes and stuff. Now it's, I live where I live though, you know, I, I'll come home and like run right into like a dozen deer just standing there in the driveway. And they just ignore me. So it's kind of like I have pets right now. It's like lizard season is starting to begin in another couple months. They're running around like fucking cockroaches. You know, it's awesome. I love it. You know, (laughs) wild turkeys, quail are funny. Quail are hilarious. You'll see a little family of them. They just cross the road. It's a killer. You know, the baby geese will be born in a couple months. You know, I have pets everywhere and I don't have to feed them. So let me ask, how, how, how long have you lived where you are now and where are you um, from originally, just for the people that may not know you? About a year and a half. Okay. It's awesome. Quiet. Whisper quiet, you know, it's in the country. But I'm not so far in the country that you're away from everything. You feel like you're hours from civilization. I'm at Target in 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. It's perfect. You know, it's like you're in the woods, but you're like, you know. 40 minutes to the mall. It's the yeah. best of both yeah. worlds. Yeah, I'm going to the mall with my daughter today. So, you know. Good life, go. man. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I have to ask you, because I was just, I was listening to the new record. You seem very chill, like going to the mall with your daughter. But I got to tell you, this record sounds very angry. And is it coming from somewhere else that I'm not seeing on this very happy disposition to go hang out with cats? And, you know, take your daughter to the mall and be on time to things and live in a whisper, quiet neighborhood. I don't know. You know, maybe it's therapeutic for me. Um, You know, uh, it's my my release. You know, it's my way to like, you know, to go about my day to day um, living without murdering somebody. (laughs) 
yeah, I'm super happy and cheerful all about the PMA and yeah, musically. No, not so much. But you know, I mean, I'm not going to write songs about puppies and kittens. I just put them on my guitar picks. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting dichotomy. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a well, dude. I gotta tell you because I was before this, I was watching the fires of division. You have like a new video out, and it's 11 days old according to the YouTubes. And first off, it's you guys in flames, just literally playing metal. It's the most metal video. And I got to tell you, like, I appreciate it. I appreciate like a band that like, you know, you hear Exodus and you're like, and then you go and you go like when I first saw Ghost and I'm not shitting on Ghost because I I love them for what they are, but I thought they were going to be a metal, metal, metal band. So when I was at Lollapalooza and they had all these girly bands and I saw Ghost, I was like, oh, they're going to be heavy. And then the guy's like, oh, like Duran Duran. (laughs) You see Exodus and you get metal. And yeah, this is yeah. no exception. I mean, it's what we do, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, musically speaking, for myself, I, mean, I think we push the ground constantly on albums. You know, like one minute we're doing a, a two-part, two-album release that's like the Pink Floyd of thrash metal, but it's the Exodus, you know. But we're doing different shit. We're just, but we're not going to come out and do ballads and stuff. The funny thing is, you mentioned Ghost, right? I love Ghost. I was They're super. Awesome, bu- but- Wrong was, mindset. When they first came out and people were talking about him, a good friend of mine was openly like soapbox preaching that they were the next merciful fate. And right there, you fucked up because you're fucking with one of my hero bands that is responsible the for same everything thing, I've done. Dude. So I had a huge fucking grudge against them because how dare you, you know? Then no, they're not, you know, and, but then I listened to them not comparing them to, you know, Black Funeral and Nuns Have No Fun and, and Curse of the Pharaohs and all this shit. And I listened to them for what they are. And I, I love them. I think they're great. I think they sound more like Blue Oyster Cult than anything. That's an interesting comparison. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, just so you know, when I say the metal stuff, I love your guitar playing. In fact, I made a mental note that your solos on this... They're so musical that it was kind of funny that when I first, the first thing I thought when I heard that you were going to play in Slayer, because I've always thought of Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King as being like the crazy, like whammy bar, like who, what the fuck's happening, but it's going to make you sick and it's metal. Like you're almost like so melodic and so composed by comparison. Was it strange to go to a band like Slayer where, you know, it's way different than you know these beautiful solos like even on the fires of division like your solo dude it's beautiful like you could tell you listen to richie blackmore and michael shanker and my I, heroes, I, and I yeah. yeah dude and and i think i had saw you talk about journey and like i mean anyone who listens to journey like you either listen to journey or hate fun like that's how i look at it well, so I'm it's like you could journey this uh saturday i think or friday yeah you stoked <laughs> But see, yeah, I'm stoked. But see, I'm a Bay Area guy and I'm 58 years old. Journey that I grew up on isn't the journey everyone knows. Over the years, I've grown to love the Steve Perry pop journey. But, you know, the journey that most people have never heard is just prog rock shredding at its finest. Totally different band. I've had arguments with like Slayer crew guys. I said, all right, now listen to this. And I played them some old journey and they're like, whoa. I had no idea. I said, yeah, you know, so, but, um, yeah, Blackmore, those guys are my favorite, but you know, as far as Slayer, you know, I just, 
I'm really good at mindless shredding too, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, and um, if Jeff played something real fast, I played fast, you know, I tried to match the vibe, but the band never asked me to like, to copy the solos because there's no copy in that. If that's what they wanted, there's a thousand guys in Slayer tribute bands that can play all of Jeff's solos. I can't. We're two totally different guys, you know, from the same um, musical tree. But um, so they just you know, let me do my own thing. And uh, I was surprised at how many solos there were in a set for Jeff. You know, like I'd do some songs. I'd have three guitar solos. It was like total like guitar hero role, I guess. I don't know. You know, but um, on the new album, yeah, I worked really hard on the solos because I wear so many hats in the studio with Exodus. Usually where I get shortchanged, I do it myself to myself is on solos because I'm I have to be in that producer's chair for all the vocals and the bass tracks and and i'm there for all that stuff and then when it i'm working so much on everything else i'm not sitting there like with a you know some headphones on working out solos you know half the time it's like fuck it you know just shred whammy bar go <laughs> and uh this time you know i had the luxury of like really working out my own parts again which we used to do in the in the good old days and recent albums i always just felt like i wasn't giving myself time for that so you know i'm glad it shows yeah speaking of uh the good old days and, and before we get too deep into what's kind of going on right now uh one thing we usually like to do is in our first our part one is just to get like a background and a history to give some context to to the listeners and viewers who might not be familiar with what you got going on uh we've had a few bay area guys on and the stories uh about that that time and area and you know when all those bands were coming up and and the the magic that happened has been fascinating uh on many levels can you talk a little bit about those early days of of exodus and kind of how that sound came to be ah you know the early days we were just guys wanting to make a certain kind of metal and we stood on the backs of giants to do it you know that's what we all do we we take our influences and then we like take it somewhere else that someone else wasn't doing. And, and um, back then, you know, 21 year old me didn't realize I was doing anything special. You know, we were just writing the music that we wanted to hear super fast, super heavy, taking our influences, everything from Judas Priest to Thin Lizzy to Venom to Merciful Fate to Discharge, you know, and just kind of balled it up into you know, and wadded it up and put it in straw and shot it against the wall like a big metal spit wad, you know, and, and, then, and it stuck, you know, and the spit wad is still there on the wall, you know, so we're pretty lucky. I mean, um, but I, I still, I'm still just making music I like to make, you know, like people will say, wow, you guys are like pushing 60 and you're still like super heavy. And I'd like, dude, we play a thousand more beats per, per minute than we ever did when we were young. It's we've made our jobs hard. <laughs> yeah. Bonded by blood era stuff is quite easy for me to play. You know, for one, I've been playing it my whole life. Number two, you know, some of these, the rhythms on this newer stuff, you know, it's, it's challenging, you know, but um, I don't know. I, I always feel I have something to prove, you know, and I keep trying to, but you know, in the early days, we were just insane, insane bunch of lunatics, you know, playing super fast music and wrecking everything in our path. And uh, we got away with a lot of shit because we all looked like little anime car cartoon characters back then. 
big guy, all like little baby face. Like, Who me? We didn't kill your goldfish. You, uh, <laughs> you, you say you're playing the music you wanted to hear, and you, you know, stand on the backs of giants. But uh, we hear a lot that uh, that early kind of thrashy sound was like a response or a rebuttal to some other popular music at the time. Well, was there any of that, or was it just taking influence from the music you actually well, liked? As the late great Paul Bailoff would say, all posers must die, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to the heavens, man. But, you know, so it was it was a, it was a response to, you know, the hair band scene. But, you know, secretly, all of us guitar players were at home trying to learn Warren D. Martini lakes. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we fully acknowledge how awesome he and George Lynch were and these guys, you know, sure. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you along those lines, what was it that originally drew you to guitar and, and your early experience playing? Because I'm always fascinated by how people get exposed to music and how they develop their tastes and what they enjoy playing. I come from like a classical music background, so all of this is kind of new to me. But I'm always fascinated by how people, you know, get drawn to their instrument and how they like the music that they want to play. So how did you get started in that regard? You know, I always wanted to play guitar. I started around... At 17 years old, I wanted to start earlier, but I'm the baby out of six kids in the family, you know, and my parents had a closet full of trumpets and saxophones and a piano in the living room that was great for putting family photos on, you know, and my, my parents never thought I'd stick with it. Because none of my brothers or my sister ever did. Did they have a musical background, your parents? No, not at okay, all. Okay, they just but, had you know, instruments. Like, I, need, I need to learn to play piano, so they get some old piano and like, Waste of money, waste of money, waste of money. But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I picked up a guitar. Kirk Hammock showed me my first licks and chords, and I was in Exodus six months later, you know. Wow. But uh, <laughs> before I played guitar, it was going seeing guys live, and, you know, nobody more so. And, you know, as a, as a liberal centrist Democrat, you know, I'm still not afraid to say it. Ted Nugent, the, my hero, he made me want to play guitar. Wow. I might not agree with everything that comes out of his mouth, but if you uh, want my copy Ted Nugent of is out of Gonzo, his fucking mind. Dude, if you we want my copy of Double Life Gonzo, you got to pry it out of my cold, dead fingers, right? <laughs> Listen, I stopped giving a shit about... There's a difference. You got to stop judging the music by the people that yeah. play it. Separating yeah, the like, art from the artist. Like Chuck, yeah. Chuck Berry literally opened a restaurant to watch girls pee on camera. Like there's all fucking weird ass shit. That if you look about yeah. anybody, you could find this... Like Eric Clapton's a total ridiculous level racist. I didn't know this uh, until ridiculous. I heard some bullets. Like and, fucking uh, hell, <laughs> crazy level. And I'm like, oh man. He's also the world's most overrated guitar player, but that's just me. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I either get people, when I, I've said it before, and I'll get people saying, what, you're ragging on Eric Clapton? No, I'm not ragging on him. It's just, they call him slow hand because his hands are slow, I guess. I mean, you look, in his era, give me Alvin Lee over Eric Clapton any day of the week. Any day. Oh, of yeah, the week. There's a thousand guitar players, you know, that I like better than Eric Clapton. I mean, his career was based on cover songs, basically, you know? Oh, yeah. Get out of here. You got a guy like Edgar Winter. I mean, even... even oh, yeah. First I Johnny mean, Winter. Whew. Ronnie Montrose. Yeah. All these greats, oh, you know? Dude, ton, there's hey, tons of great guitar. Right? My high school... Ted Nugent ruled my high school. Ted Nugent and ACDC, Angus Young being my other guy who made me want to play guitar before I ever played. You know, Ted live, he was like 10 feet tall. He looked like, you know, with that huge Gibson Birdland, you know, it's bucket list guitar. I don't own and I need one. And um, 
He was just, you know, like you get these guys now when they wear their guitar like a bib, you know, it's up here like a, <laughs> like they're eating off it. It's a necktie. And they're doing all this shit. And it's impressive, right? And it sounds like video game guitar and it's impressive and it's cool. And but But is it though? They cannot do the solo from fucking Wang Dang Sweet Poontang Poontang live. Cannot do it. That solo is a a monument to endurance and he's just shredding so hard genuinely live it's you know give me that i'm a rock guitar guy who plays on steroids and fucking residual methamphetamine abuse from years (laughs) back you know (laughs) you know it's just hard rock but it's sped up but you mentioned an interesting term, not to interrupt you, but endurance is a huge part of it. And that's one thing that I learned to respect from classical music is you would practice this stuff in the practice room, but it's a totally different thing to get up and have to do like a 45 minute concerto live. And oh, you learn yeah. to really respect it when it's like you actually have to do that. And there's no stopping. There's no cut and paste. It's like different the whole way through. And you've yeah. got to make it from one yeah beginning to end just like that. Exactly. And a lot of these YouTube guitar players, the videos they're putting up, and I've seen some, and I know some guys who are like phenomenal, killer, shredding, ripping guitars. And then I see some, a lot of them, and the guy's lip syncing to his own shred. Like he's recorded and worked it out in Pro Tools, and then he's filming it from five camera angles, and he's not really playing it. Give me one really sweet bent note, and I'm happy, you know. Uh, <laughs> I judged years ago, many years ago in the 90s, I judged a guitar con- competition. And I told the other judges, I said, first guy who plays a shanker lick wins. <laughs> and a guy came up and played a shanker lick. Winner. <laughs> Everyone else go home. <laughs> Winner. That's fucking great. And I said, first guy who's like comes up and plays something tasty and isn't just fucking cramming as many notes in. But I mean, at the same time, though, I one thing I try to do in my advancing years as I try to be an ambassador for the instrument. You know, I want to see kids 12 years old shredding on guitar. I want to see 12 year olds playing bass and playing drums and not fucking scratching on turntables and shit. So I'm ecstatic that there's a whole generation of people that are embracing the guitar, you know? I mean, God, we went through whole we went through whole periods where there weren't even guitar solos anymore, you know. So fucking right on, you know. And yeah. if your jam is sitting there on YouTube and doing these shredding, you know, using your toes and your fingers to tap, cool, you know. I, I mean, I think it's impressive. It's just nothing that I want to learn. I mean, when I when I want to learn a lick, I go and watch like Eric Steckel, and I'm like, fucking hell, you know, guy's so fucking badass. <laughs> <laughs> like blows my mind you know like and i literally sit there and watch his videos and i'm trying to learn licks because he's just shredding like supreme top level rock guitar you know blues rock guitar yeah well i wanted not to interrupt that flow but i wanted to ask going back you mentioned that you, you know i think you were 17 you said when you picked up guitar and then six months later you were already playing in exodus right so what how what was that experience like because that sounds terrifying to me oh, <laughs> to feel awesome. so new to an I, instrument I, I, I learned really, really fast, you know, I mean, as as quick as I learned and in the early, early days of Exodus, it was like this big talked about thing in the Bay Area, like this guy's like this wonder kid, you know, he's been playing a year and he's shredding and doing all this shit. And um, yeah, I should be way better now. <laughs> For as good as I got quickly, I think I plateaued off and just maybe it was like the substance abuses at one part in my life and all that, you know, just kind of 
um, the nonstop practice took a back seat. But, you know, as a as a youngster, you know, that's all I did. I played guitar, you know, 10 hours a day. And then when I did played my first show, you know, it's like, this is for me. This is what I need to do. I need to get on stage and, and rage. Fucking yeah. Hard. Interesting. Well, when you were playing 10 hours a day, what, where were you drawing from if you weren't getting um, formal training? Like, what, where did you get your input on what to learn? Was it just seeing people live? Because it was a different era, right? It's not like now where you go on YouTube and you say, teach me guitar, and there's a million videos. You know, how, yeah, how were you just, learning? Yeah, um, just listening to records and trying to copy licks from Blackmore and Schenker and always learning them slightly wrong. But in the end, that incorrect Blackmore lick becomes your lick. Can I tell you, I relate to yeah, that really because Corey and I did a, co- a cover of Gates to Babylon from Rainbow. Oh, and he got so like mad at me because he's like, songs. He, he's like, dude, you're a half step off. I'm like, where? 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 Because I spent so much time just trying to get, you know, the fucking riff. It's hard. And he's like, but you're a half step. And I went back and I listened to it and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm still, a ha- I spent so much time and it's so crazy because you can learn so many songs so fast, but Richie Blackmore, he he's the devil. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen him live so many times and, but he, the last time he did a rainbow tour, he played a club in uh, Santa Clara. I mean, a club holds about a thousand people, you know, I've seen him in all these arenas and I was like two people from front row seeing him from eight feet away and I realized everything I thought about his plane was wrong. <laughs> it's like all wrong. Cause I could really see it. And you know, this is after decades of guitar playing, you know, rather than a lot of it was like really early on and I was pretty far away. It's like, wow. It's like I, everything I thought I knew was incorrect. In, in terms of the approach to the instrument, how it was actually played or like Just, your perception. Uh, the licks, the licks. Yeah. I was playing them all wrong and and, uh, watching him fiddle around with his tone knobs and his pickup selection was just mind-blowing you know like you know me most of my guitars don't have a tone knob you know the shit's off all the way anyway and he was really (laughs) using that shit to craft and create so many tones within a guitar you know within a stratocaster it was remarkable wow that's wild my hero (laughs) my favorite guitar player of all time so he, so I, I, I was going to say, he was at my first session that I ever played at when I, he was at, he was recording with Rainbow. I, I think I may have told the story on, on the show, but he was recording with Rainbow in my, my high school jazz band. It was the best year that our jazz instructor had ever had. And he convinced our, our, the board or whatever to send us to a recording studio, Longview Farm Studios. This dude sitting there with the fucking hat on and the hair. And I'm like, and he had that accent. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm the only one in the control room because all my classmates are like not interested. And I'm like, I want to learn what these fuckers are doing. And I could tell you Gwen Stefani was on the cover of Rolling Stone. That's when it happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. He's just, uh, you know, one of the guys that works here. And I, I'm like, even at like 14, I'm like, that's I'm pretty sure that that's Richie Blackmore. And then I found out later they had recorded a record and that Richie Blackmore decided to moonlight on my jazz band. So, yeah, <laughs> that happened. And he made I mean, everyone play soccer. in New York, and my friend Mark Mangi sees him roaming around town in his Renaissance garb all the time. <laughs> oh, but speaking of Renaissance garb, the single greatest Blackmore show I ever saw was when I saw Blackmore's Night, his Ren- Renfair medieval band. And it was the greatest display of guitar playing ever. And he 
didn't pick up his electric guitar once. It was wait, re- really? Because I saw the Sting version of that, and I was like, "Oh, come on, Sting, play with some balls." Blackmore pulled it. I was scared of that show because I didn't want to not like Blackmore afterwards. Because I'm like, has he gone out of his mind like a wizard or whatever? Because he thinks he's a wizard or something. I mean, he might be. He, I don't know. He is but- a wizard. He's a wizard at everything he does. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was awesome. He had a strat there on stage, and he had an amp. But he didn't. He opted not to play it, and he just played fucking on acoustic, scallop acoustic, scallop. Oh my fret. gosh! Wow. Awesome. Uh, approved. I mean, you know, I played scallop fretboards for most of my life up until you know maybe about ten years ago, and that's because of Richie. That had nothing to do with Ingve. <gasps> Fuck that dude. Well, no. <laughs> well, so do you like? So first off, why would you go from scallop to not scallop? Because I actually have a few scalloped guitars here that I recently i'm like what is the difference because i've never had the opportunity what what made you decide to i mean obviously blackmore dude was the guy that did it that's the most amazing thing but what made you stop and did you what's the advantage for you um you know i went to a shorter scale neck you know i went to gibson scale and you know i kind of didn't you know it's pretty slinky as it is and uh but you know i i st- love scallop fretboards i did many of them all myself you know i have all the files still you know i butchered a couple really? of cheap necks and <laughs> i've scalloped them all you know neck through body guitars bolt-ons you know, name it interesting that's, what what functionally awesome. is the difference as as a non-guitar player here your what? frets are about a mile tall basically. okay okay and you know there's like and uh, you're just getting string on on fret you know um there's no wood there's a big air gap under it you know and it's almost like sitar like interesting okay yeah it's really really killer but i have a couple i have an esp that's scalloped from the 12th to the 22nd and i've got some other guitars like that and then i had them scalloped all the way down and other people play my guitars and they're pushing every note out of tune because (laughs) there's not used to it and i'm like oh it's not an issue what's wrong with you <laughs> well i, I have yeah. to tell you that i was watching some bootlegs of you live and i've seen I, I i love your guitars in fact if i had my own esp guitar it would be your purple rain guitar which i didn't know was a purple rain guitar until i saw live that this beautiful purple fucking esp with gold hardware white EMGs, it's just like it's it's got a cross in. It's the most badass guitar. I'm like, when I don't think it could get any more badass, I realize well, there's the, the Prince logo. Neck, you know? yeah, yeah, I saw that. Right. I'm like, it says purple rain, but spelt as in like rain and blood. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. He's my oh, hero. Dude. Prince is my all time musical hero. I mean, every Prince show I've ever seen was like the greatest show ever. And uh, first time I ever saw him live. Um, he played uh, the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. Tickets announced the night before, sold out in five minutes. You know, Prince and the Revolution, and uh, changed my life. Excuse me. What about talk. it? What, what What was it that drew you to the music or to the performance? Watching a, uh, it was, you know, watching this guy command a band in the funk, the power of the funk. It was just, it just, it was like a, like one of those uh, crazy religious things everybody starts just getting caught up in the spirit in the moment and you're almost speaking in tongues it was fucking rad and um i mean you know the guy you know as a musician he's unrivaled we'll never see another one like him you know he's the the mozart of popular music you know um 
It's my hero. Man, did I you see my MVP. new cat? Did you see my new cabinets? Dude, I was going to actually ask you about that. You have the most beautiful LCD LED cabinets with the blue, yeah, the purple lights. Oh wow! And your lo- and your logo, right? It's that's your like yeah, your crest I mean, kind of thing. Well, I mean, they change any color; they'll pulsate and all that. But you know, it's a, make them make them purple, make them red. And that's in broad daylight there. Uh-huh. Oh my oh, god! Yeah, yeah they're oh, wow. insane. Very cool. For uh, for they're our li- for our listeners, check out the YouTube page, or, yeah. or I'm guessing these pictures were posted somewhere. If Ben saw them, yeah. yeah, I can't wait. They'll make their debut on this upcoming tour, and uh, yeah, you know they'll be purple when we play Minneapolis. That's for fucking damn sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, there's nobody like him. I mean, I cried when he passed away. It was a Damn Do you have a favorite awesome. Prince story? Because there's so many cool Prince stories. I'd love to hear Gary Holt. Story. Uh, there we go. Uh, the coolest Prince story. Um, Rick Hunolt, my other longtime former guitar player in Exodus, we were backstage at the Bangles, right? And at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. And the funny thing, backtracking a little, I'd heard uh, Manic Monday on the radio and I said, what a fucking Prince ripoff. You know, I didn't know he wrote it. <laughs> And, uh, and we're sitting there backstage and we're just talking to some people, you know, and all of a sudden here comes Prince walking right towards us. And like, I didn't, still didn't know he wrote the fucking song. And uh, what the fuck is Prince doing here? And he comes and me and Rick are just jaws dropped. And he looked down at us and just gave us a nod. So that was my, my closest touch to greatness. And then we lied and told all our friends we jammed with them backstage. We <laughs> <laughs> were jamming with man, it was rad, huh? Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, he smelled really good. Interesting. <laughs> smelled great. Like whatever bespoke cologne he had on was just awesome. Just smelled so good. He was enchanting. <laughs> yeah, he walked by and you know, as the jaws are dropped, we Gotta took it in. I can still smell it to this day. It was epic. You just so nailed something about it because that's a dude that he was like five foot nothing that would wear platform shoes, full like uh, you know coat, you know fur jacket, and do like twirls and 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 splits and play guitar. But he was manly, even though he was wearing no oh, shirt yeah. and he was all shaved and all like. But he was still masculine, and there was hot chicks around him. But he was always like. like you can't dance, but like that was cool. Like it was yeah. cool to pirouette when it was Prince. Yeah, he was a master. Um, you know, I'm really good friends. You know, Bay Area guy Takumi was his tech for 18 years. You know, and like he was on beck and call. You know, and like you know, I'm 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 doing. I need to record. Get down here. And he go in and record, and he's doing a guitar line with his left hand, and he's playing the keyboard line with his right. And Takumi oh says. Why don't you just overdub it and do one, do the other? Because it sounds better this way. So he's tracking two two instruments at once. <laughs> I played his telly, the the Honer telly. I played that. Guitar. Oh, the Mad Cat, the Mad Cat. Yeah, the one. That's yeah. the one. That's I played, I played that guitar. That that's um, so. What was that like to pick that up? Was it just like a oh? It was it was shaking in my boots. <laughs> yeah, about it. that and playing the red special was pretty epic. Yeah. Again, it's weird. Like I swear to God, I got like goosebumps over my whole body just thinking about like picking up Brian May's guitar. Did he hand it to you, or did like what's the story behind tech, that? Pete Malindrome brought it back because Justin Kirk Hammett's tech was working for Queen on that tour. And uh, he hooked me up, and um, 
I've been friends with Pete ever since, and I got my own Brian May uh, guitars, Red Special, sitting here right behind me. And uh, things amazing. It's amazing. But I put it away because, you know, he, he ins inscribed it to me. And, I, you know, I played it for like a good hour when I first got it and started rubbing off some of his writing with oh, my no. arm. Like, so none of the signature, but some of the two Gary, like the two was kind of gone. So I had to touch it up myself. And it's put away. <laughs> I'm taking it to some people in L.A. and they're going to clear coat it and seal it in. And then I'll be able to play that thing all I want. But right now I, I put it away and haven't touched it since i have oh i have gosh. assigned one and i think Corey made me use it for one session and then i haven't let anyone touch it i don't think since because i just i don't even want to think about it it's a game used brian may signed <laughs> I, I made, you, I made you use it <laughs> yeah. I, th I think you're like let's I'll try that one i was like fine but don't touch it and it sounded amazing it, you know it was more like dude check this guitar out i'm gonna use it <laughs> check it get, get the camera <laughs> it's gonna be great i'm gonna play probably. it today i wanted to play it yesterday but um <laughs> You know, I was even online, like, you know, and I saw a guy who bought one of the, the cheaper ones, you know, but he um got it signed and he put just cling wrap over it to play it while he's in it. <laughs> oh, my but gosh. Just to, like, put a barrier between well, his arm. And I almost I'll tell did you, that. I'll, I'm like, no, I'm not I'll tell you that. something horrifying. I pull the cling wrap off and all the suits oh, yeah. still on it. You know? yeah. Wait, I have something horrifying. So my buddy sent me the Jason Becker Perpetual Burn guitar. And when it came here, it we're in Boston, and it was sitting on a truck for God knows how long. So when it came in, it was like shocked, and I left it in the case. But he put his thumbprint on it, and the the actual like ink was sitting on top of the guitar. Like if you had touched it, you could have like got rid of the whole thing. And I'm just sitting there like for hours, like waiting for it to like cure again or something. But like because it was outside, all the stuff he had written like is now fuzzy looking. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. that sucks. So, yeah, I put it away. Tragedy, because I want to play it so bad. I mean, yeah. those pickups sound so good. They just sing. It's fucking phenomenal. It's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I love guitars. Guitars are awesome. They're just like yeah. instruments are the best thing ever, you know? I can't ever have enough of them. Yeah, what, so well, you, you said, and Ben have a lot in common then. Well, yeah. is it the Birdland? So what's your number one? Uh, like rainy day guitar, like if you could just take your 401k that you don't have from Slayer or Exodus, I'm sure. Um, what would you buy if you could buy the craziest guitar? What would be the um, one? Well, you know, Ted did just recently have a big auction and I would have bought one of his guitars, you know. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not interested in buying, you know, Greeny like Kirk did or, you know, or shit like that. You know, I just like guitars that are cool and different and that sound good and they're usable, you know, like, um, you know, I've, I've kind of always been looking and I almost pulled the trigger of buying one of the um, Rory Gallagher uh, relic fenders, you know, I've always wanted one of those, one of my favorite guitar players. And, um, but, you know, I just, I just need more of them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way, man. I mean, I got I about a hundred guitars, I think. I don't know. Oh my gosh, yeah, That's it's never awesome. ending, I suppose. It's, it's I, weird because as a violinist, you have basically one. Time. Yeah. You know, I sell yeah. one every now and then, and it's usually to buy something else, you know. I was like, you know, I'm, I'll shuffle them in and out. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to buy 59 Les Pauls and stuff, you know, like Neil Sean and Joe Bonamassa and Rick Nielsen have the market cornered on that shit yeah. anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, 
but realistically for us peasants, you know, and that's anyone that doesn't have like a hundred million dollars to their name. Like I've played 59 Les Pauls. Like they're great. They're awesome. I would still rather 25 fucking awesome, still vintage, amazing guitars. Yeah. Or like, it's just absolutely insane. So unless you have so much money, like, you know, Kirk Hammett, where you can buy Greeny and the dude that, uh, was it Cesar or whatever from Gibson, who has two serial numbers separate, like, God bless you guys and your 59s. And then Rick Nielsen was this 358 Explorers of the 18. Okay, cheap trick, man. You're the best. You own it. I still, for me, I have an 1850 Martin. Like, nobody has that Martin. Like, for me, that's just as cool, if yeah. not even cooler than a 59, because it's lasted another 100 years. So, for me, that's cool. The 59 stuff is just like flexing for lawyers and rich rock stars. Yeah, me. I mean, you know, I look at my guitar collection as two things. One, it's for me to have toys to play with. Number two, when I'm gone, it's for my kids to sell and have some money. And, you know, like, I don't own a 59 Les Paul, but I own a guitar painted in my own blood that's the only one ever on Earth. It's not 10 of them. There's not 20. Is that the one, one in the new video? What's is that, that the one in the new? Is that the one in the new video that's covered in blood? No, that's a blood splatter. That's just paint. The the one painted in my own blood. By, is it, so it's actually a painted solid. Yeah, it's like... um. It's it's one of the most famous guitars in metal, and I'm honored to own it. Oh, that's and right. I can't even imagine what it'd be worth. You know, I mean, there's bef- you know that one. Oh God, I know that guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, wow, I don't. I don't know if I'd ever I mean, put that, that thing. to. It's insane. Wow. Um. Yeah, that's nothing like it, and I'm sure it's kind of almost impossible to put a value on it, but. When I'm dead, I think my kids would probably be pretty okay just off what they get from that guitar alone. Sure. I was going to well, just try to describe. Tra- I was going to de- describe it for our listeners, and I don't even know where to yeah. start. That thing's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's you just nuts. have to check it's out so the video. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's it's nuts. You know, eighteen vials of blood and man, it's oh a my gosh, that's did you get, did you get like a cookie afterwards? To- <laughs> no, no, not I had a beer. Probably worse than that. Um, oh my gosh, too. You know, 18 vials of blood sounds like a crazy amount. You know, when you go to give a pint of blood, that's more than 18 vials of blood. So Yeah. <laughs> the bigger number sounds more scary, though. So well, you know, because they just keep putting the vial on, and when it's full, they pop it off, put another one, and they're filling up the little tray. He wanted like 36. And my <laughs> wife was there, and she said, no, nah, that's enough of my husband's blood. He's got to show tomorrow. We did it, you know, backstage at, at a Slayer show. And, oh, my God. You know how to party, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I haven't even brought that guitar out since the end of Slayer. You know, I'm kind of nervous about taking it out on I'm on the fence on this upcoming tour, whether I want to take it out or not. Don't do it, man. You Don't know, fucking do it. You know, There's no I, tour that's worth that shit, man. It's not well, worth it. You know, in Slayer, we're playing arenas, and I know my tech, Warren Lee, was protecting that thing with his life. And um, Yeah, that's a different story, I, I guess. I want my singer to come. You know, I have a front man, not a bass player singer. I don't want him to come up, you know, not see me behind him and swing his microphone and take a chunk out of it. You know, I've had that happen to guitars before, you know. You know, <laughs> sitting there, like, rocking out and bump, oh, right on the edge of my guitar. Yep. Oh my gosh! And uh, so it's nope. probably kind of retired until the appropriate moment. Uh, but yeah, you know, I got some cool guitars. You know, they're not fifty nines, but they're badass. You know, 
Yeah. Well, coming back around, not to change the subject from guitars, because I know you and Ben <laughs> and Corey, I'm sure, love talking about guitars. But oh. I want to hear before that, before the end of the episode, just for, you know, to humor me or some of the listeners that didn't grow up listening to um, Exodus or Slayer, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about your career. And, you know, we kind of referenced you getting into Exodus. Can you kind of walk us through some of that, those early days and, and just getting out and, and playing shows and what it was like and how that kind of led you on a path? to what you're doing now? Well, you know, we started um, in the early days uh, before we ever played a real club. Exodus were famous around Richmond, California for like putting on our own hall parties with names like Jug Night and Ripper, the Ripper, you know, because you paid five bucks to get in and you also included like Jug Night. It was like 10 kegs of beer and like 12 half gallons of whiskey. You know, so <laughs> there's probably a lot of, lot of DUIs at night. Um, <laughs> things ourselves and we built our own lighting stuff and we built a stage and we fill these epic jams you know and um then we got into playing real clubs and from there you know we just developed and and continued and next thing you know i'm on tour with venom you know my heroes so epic you know you know we went through a lot of the ups and downs of rock and roll like you know we're a walking living behind the music fucking episode <laughs> we've got death drug addiction all that shit but you know we're still here i mean well, your guitar teacher bailed on you for another band that nobody ever heard of again what's that i said your guitar teacher bailed on you to join another band to, that no one ever heard yeah, of again. no yeah i mean what a horrible what a jerk move. dude <laughs> oh my god no, but by I the mean, way for for siobhan no that's kirk hammett of metallica no, I, know. I, I know kirk yeah, hammett I know of metallica you know the band nothing I, else I know, matters i know kirk hammett okay. and and metallica and i'm aware <laughs> thank yeah. you i'm not that out of touch <laughs> but you know after it's all said and done um you know, after like, you know, a self-imposed exile from music, I was working at a fucking RV lot, you know, shoveling up dog shit and washing RVs. And that's after like having a successful 10 year career. And that was in, you know, in the mid nineties and my new album entered at number 20 on billboard. So, you know, it's, it is kind of like a, um, a behind the music episode or a singer died, drug addiction, blah 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 and and redemption you know like um kind of kind of cool i'm fortunate and lucky you know yeah no that's that's amazing i mean can you if you don't mind can you talk a little bit about that i mean because you know it's always interesting to hear the behind the music version that there are a lot of low lows for people that that the the general public they don't see you know they see what's on the internet and the glamour and whatever um yeah what what was that hiatus for music like what prompted it it and what was that like well you know the the band were dropped from Capitol records and we could have easily signed another deal but there were some personality conflicts in the band. My first daughter's just born and I was not having fun. And I just, I opted to join the PTA instead of uh, a new record label. It was awesome. I have no regrets on that. And um, it's when we reunited with our original singer, Paul, that, you know, like drugs became a real factor. Exodus had a long reputation as like, like enjoying our drugs, but it wasn't until like 97 where things got really bad you know which led to paul's death in 2002 and my subsequent sobriety came in december of 2002 and um hell i don't even drink anymore i'm no fun at all 
No, you're clearly a lot of fun. I mean, you have such a great spirit and you're so positive. I mean, good for you. That's that's you know, incredible. And it's to, really you know, hard. I just had two biopsies on my nose and I'm recovering from gout. So. Oh my gosh. But good. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got, there, man. Falling you're, apart. you're so, so now positive. I'm not though. eating red meat anymore. I'm not even drinking my non-alcohol beers. And uh, it is what it is. But, you know, like I see a lot of bad news around with a lot of people and a lot of tragedy, like Taylor Hawkins, you know, yeah. and um, sure. I could have just as easily at one point in my life been in that same position, you know, like I could be dead, you know, I'm lucky. I'm looking outside at the fresh blooming cherry tree and a hillside of oak trees and it's fucking awesome. I'm, I'm, what do I got to complain about? That's the thing. Like, you know, like Ben mentioned, you know, like the album being so like fucking aggressive and just angry and like me not being because i got nothing to be angry about there's a million people who would trade places to be where i am right now and it's really hard for a new band now and um and i've survived a lot of shit and i'm i'm still standing so you know did you I, always have that perspective that that positivity because i think some people it takes a really long time to get no, that and it to took me a long time i mean you know i went through my stages in my career of like just ego and not giving a shit about anybody but yourself and now i'm like super compassionate dude who doesn't like the direction the world's heading in and maybe musically i'm contributing to the the bad vibes i don't know maybe it's my fault too <laughs> no i don't i don't i disagree with do that. Something about that because i have a giant and i feel like I have a giant smile on my face when I listen to the fires of division. Cause I'm like, this is what I want to hear. Cause I dude, my heart closed years ago. So if I'm going to hear metal, it better be literally the fires of division. So, and metal people I find tend to be happier than like, let's say a lot of like Siobhan was playing at ultra last night at, in Miami, which is all these people coming down from my experience from ecstasy and all these drugs that drugs that bum you out. Meanwhile, you go to a maiden show. People are stoked. I'm stoked to see you guys on, on the, on, on the, this next tour. Nevertheless with Testament and death angel. Are you guys, are you excited that years later, people you're still touring with these amazing bands, but people are actually acknowledging that you guys were like the fathers of the Bay Area for like this thrash thing that a lot, I think for a long time, you guys didn't get the credit you deserved. Yeah, but you know, it's that chip on my shoulder that keeps me going, you know, like, uh, you know, even when I get credit, you know, I'm going to find, you know, you know, the negative part of me is going to find like the, like the naysayer and like, you know, and, and smash them, you know, and that's the thing. We go out on stage every night with the intention of thoroughly crushing everybody we're playing with. And, you know, the winners, <laughs> the fans are getting a great show, but on this tour, we're going out there with one sole purpose. And that is to destroy Testament and death angel, <laughs> our good friends. <laughs> that, but that's the greatest. You know, we're going to crush them because, you know, I go out there with them on a mission. There's one thing I'm, I, they're paying to see me do, and that is to go out and crush people. And then they, the other bands try to crush back. And next thing you know, it's just this big musical fist fight and fucking, it's like, it's like a Hagler Hearns, you know, it's awesome. It's like the, like some of the great fights you ever seen. That's amazing. Do you have any stories about weird or bad tour dynamics or uh, like, clashing of that sort from the, i guess the competition that exists whenever you're supporting or headlining because there's a lot of dynamics there that people don't realize no we've always been really lucky to tour with a lot of bands that like 
are really fun to tour with. I mean, you know, I have like my short list of like bands that if like if I took that list, printed it out and said for the rest of my life till I'm never no longer playing live, these are the only bands I'll ever tour with. I'd be perfectly happy. And that's like um, Sepultura, Municipal Waste, uh, Death Angel, um, Goat Whore, Obituary, and others. These are like our brothers, you know, like I'm best friends. I tell these guys I love them when, you know, we text and sign off. And um, and, uh, and when we tour together, it's just the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like that. You're supposed to have fun. You're not supposed to, like, have to fight and argue about, you know, stupid shit concerning the show you know it's like um you know we we've shared drums with goat whore before you know played mm. venues so small that and our drummer's left-handed you know like where like oh, there's no place to even <laughs> put the drums all right we'll just switch them around and just use the same kit put your cymbals up there and we'll go you know you know how many bands would make you set up on the floor you know mm. like well there's no sure. room on stage well you know set up on the floor we'll put a couple of security guys around you you know like some people <laughs> don't give a fuck and um, but we do care. We want everybody to have a good time, and um, and, and that's at this stage in my life, you know, I'm I'm not down for games, you know. Yeah. I'm only going to do tours that are fun, you know. Well, yeah. I think that's awesome because I I remember and Corey was in the same kind of scene like when we were in Boston that you it was that you know that fierce competitiveness where you wanted to blow the other bands off the stage but you also had reverence for those other bands because you're like oh wow those guys just fucking murdered i'm gonna have to like up my game and like i feel like that's been dead a lot in the in the the live scene for a lot of younger bands so to hear that it's almost nostalgic for me to be like it's a friendly like we we hope we blow them off the stage, but either way, everyone's winning. Yeah, we we tried really hard to impress the twelve people at our shows. It, it was, <laughs> yes, it was dude, brutal. I mean, <laughs> dude, when when we did Temple of the Damned in two thousand and three, which you know is hailed as one of our finest hours, and people um always said, "Wow, how's it feel to be at, at the vanguard of this thrash metal renaissance?" And I'm like, "Dude, I just played Colorado Springs for eighteen paid. I'll tell you about it when I see it." <laughs> you know, we did a, we did a show there and like i finished the show and i jumped off the front of the stage right past 18 people went straight to the bar <laughs> still in my stage clothes you know like i was like fucking went up and said i'll have a double schnapps please and go up behind, you know? <laughs> guys are welcome to come join me you know like you know but you know it has built and built and and now the band does quite well you know but we started out you know probably a little bit of bad timing you know like making this big comeback at a time people weren't ready for it you know or whatever but we just kept going what else am i gonna do you know i don't have any real job skills you know i haven't found a way to make charming pay <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know how to well, make a living off that yet that should be the name of the episode i haven't found a way to make charming pay yeah <laughs> I like it's a little that. wordy but it, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes I'm too old, like, to like, no. too, too old to start training to be a SWAT team officer, you know, which <laughs> I would like to be, you know, but I'm um, 58. I would never, ever pass the fucking physical side of the exam. I've got gout. <laughs> Here, go run that obstacle court. You run that course. I'm not running nowhere. <laughs> oh, I don't want to put shoes on. That sounds terrible, man. I'm That's sorry. <laughs> it's much better now. It's much better. No, That's I'm, good. 
and you know, um, I've, I've eliminated stuff out of my diet to like keep it keep it away because the alternative is they'll put you on this med and it's an everyday med for your whole fucking life to keep it right away. i'd prefer not to be on like meds for shit you know sure oh yeah absolutely like, be dependent on chemicals if you could handle it via diet yeah, it's a, a very point. unorthodox perspective for uh, most Americans. I think. Oh, I, I yeah, like that. Like, I want to keep eating these steaks and pound all these beers and eat hella seafood and uh, just give me a pill so I can. You know, I, I'll just you know everything in moderation. Yeah, is, it's scary shit. Well, putting all that into your system sometimes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm not against the wonders of modern medicine, but if I can avoid it, you know. Right. I will. My doctor doesn't want to give me that med unless I have another flare up, you know, and he's like, you know, we'll control it, you know, just eat less of this and that, you know, and um, hopefully it doesn't come back, you know. Absolutely. Trying to well, keep, take care of myself. I'm, I've got two grandchildren, got three daughters and wife. I don't want to go anywhere, you know, I should have a lot of years left in me. So I'll do my best to, to see that it happens. Well, we're Absolutely. rooting for you. <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're coming to the end of our, our part one here, first hour uh, with Gary Holt on 2020. Gary, is there anything that you want to let people know about? You know, just uh, the tour. It's going to start on the 9th in San Luis Obispo. And, um, and it's going to be awesome. It's the first tour we've done since the, the last one was we flew home the day of the flight restrictions from Europe. Oh, wow. At the start of the COVID, you know, and flew home and about a dozen of us were sick. Will Carroll from Death Angel was on a ventilator for a couple of weeks, <sighs> really sick. And he's bounced back. I was sick as I've ever been and not near as sick as Will. You know, I was at home sick. And um, and now we're touring again. I never thought this day was going to happen. So well, let's I'm, let's I'm, talk. We'll talk about that tour in part two. Um, cause definitely excited to hear, you know, your thoughts awesome. on, on getting back out there and everything. Um, but for everyone else, check out 2020-d.com, like and subscribe to the podcast, and we will see you next week with Gary Holt, part two. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com, like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 125, featuring Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Check it out. The danger of rock and roll is gone. And, 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 you know, it's it's like it's supposed to piss people off. It's supposed to fuck with the system. It's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to challenge your opinions. It's supposed to have a political stance. It's supposed to make you feel like, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I should or or this is exactly what I'm feeling and this person understands it. And there's so much candy out there. I you know, I've said it a million times, like there's there's like 75,000 vanilla ice creams. Where's the Neapolitan? You know what I mean? <laughs> I love a Neapolitan. I want a little strawberry and chocolate. I don't just want vanilla. Yeah, okay, you got vanilla seed. Where's the seed from? Oh, it's from Panama? Big fucking deal. It's still <laughs> vanilla ice cream. And that's the problem. Yeah. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. 
We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.